that uh, I'm working on my doctorate. I say that not as a bragging thing, but I've been, I've been reading a lot, in other words. So that's, that's the point. So much reading, by the way. But one of the things that I have been um, reading, thinking about, talking about, is recently this um, the power dynamic that exists in society and how each of us in some way is seeking power in our job, in our family, in our organizations, school, whatever you name it. And um, this has nothing to do with the message, by the way, this is all free. But as we're talking about Jesus, Jesus took the power dynamic of this world and he turned it upside down because for him to receive power meant that you became a servant to all, right? It was, it's just entirely different. And so here we are 2,000 years later still trying and attempting to become powerful, forgetting sometimes that the way to power is by being a servant. So, man, I'm just, uh, I'm blown away as I, as I think about Jesus and, and what he did. And, you know, he did his ministry. Now, he was obviously alive longer than that. But his ministry was three years, essentially. Three years. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I, and I've said this before, when I turned 33, which is a few years ago now, I was like, what have I done with my life? Look what Jesus did with his. So not that I am Jesus, but you understand, like, he was awesome. So anyway, everybody doing okay today? Good to see you here. Um, I'm glad that you came now, and uh, perhaps later the rain will come. I know sometimes when there's rain in the, this coming it hinders people from getting out, but uh, we all were able to get in under the rain today. Uh, they're saying it's coming this evening, so we hope everybody does well, stays safe. But uh, we're going to continue today in Ephesians. Let me get there. And uh, it's hard to do this with one hand. Bruno's gone, and like my world is falling apart, just so y'all know. Um, I've, I love and appreciate Katrina. She does a fabulous job always. So happy for her to be here and lead us and the team to lead us in worship. But um, Bruno does some things like with microphones and stuff. I couldn't even find, I don't know where, where the, the headset mic is today. I don't, I don't know where that's at. So we're just going to use this one and, uh, and suffer through. I've gotten used to, when I first started preaching, I was nervous to, uh, I didn't know what to do with my hands. You know, I was like, I don't know what to do with my hands. And now I don't know what to do without my hands. So things change. Uh, we've been in this uh, book of Ephesians for some time now, and uh, today we're going to finish chapter four, <laughs> finally, right? We've been in the last few verses of chapter four for the last few weeks, um, and we're going to finish chapter four. We still have two chapters left, so it's going to take us some time. I did say when we started this that uh, God is working some things out in me and in our church. Those things are all being revealed, and you know, it's... Uh, it's what's going to happen. So we're going to be in the last few verses of Ephesians chapter 4, continuing this series. You know, 
we've decided that our church is committed to an inward journey of spiritual practices and an outward journey of missional engagement. So inward spiritual practices, outward missional engagement. Last week we talked a little bit about what's in the heart comes out the mouth, remember? That's my paraphrase. Um, I don't think it was spoken quite that way, but what's inside comes out. So that's why we wanna be focused on what is happening. There's a, a spiritual development part that happens in us that becomes something that is uh, outward and causes us to engage missionally, which, by the way, we're talking about um, the alabaster offering, which is a way for us to do that. It's an incredible thing. Every alabaster gifts that, all the alabaster gifts that are given go directly to um, building construction of some sort around the world. Um, when I say around the world, it also happens for some in the United States. Uh, people that are in mission areas in the United States can receive those funds as well. So I called, they wouldn't let us have it. <laughs> okay, just see if y'all are awake there. Um, no, but it's, you know, we want to help others. We want to help. And that's, and that does that. We're so grateful we can be a part of that. Also, the Easter egg hunt we're talking about. Can you believe we're talking about Easter egg hunt again? Um, I'll remind you that Easter egg hunt for us is not about the Easter eggs. Um, Easter eggs mean nothing to us. But it does mean something in our culture. So what we do is we're going to put this big hunt on. We have about uh, 10,000 eggs that we're going to fill. And um, it's, we're going to invite everybody in the community to come. It's a family event. And so they will be here with us and hunting eggs. And um, I'll tell you, the last couple of times, last year was our first year back after COVID. When we did it last year, it reminded me of the time before COVID that people came out. You can see families sitting in our field out here, um, participating, loving on each other, spending time together. What is the need in our area? In our area, there is a tremendous amount of um, mental and social anxieties, uh, things, you know, we don't have a lot of uh, physical need in regards to clothing and food. There is some of that, but there's a lot of uh, emotional and, and uh, mental anxieties that we have. Divorce is very high. Broken families is, is a problem. And so when we see families sitting calmly in the grass in our church, because we have just loved on them and they feel a safe space, I was like, this is this is why we're doing this. So they can feel love, feel connected, and have an opportunity to spend time together as a family because we don't do that very much. I'm, all, I'm in my feelings today. I don't know if you guys can tell that. All right, here we are at the end of chapter four of a six-chapter book. Um, we embarked on this journey some time ago. I know I've talked with several people, and some of you have told me that some of this has stepped on your toes and I am, I am sorry that that happens. I, I do know that when we begin to speak truth, especially out of the scripture, sometimes it does cause us some angst. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. And we call that stepping on our toes when we get convicted. I want you to know, full disclosure, we're going to be talking about forgiveness today. Teresa already mentioned that. And um, I don't know what you came in here with today, but please do not think that I'm preaching at you, Okay. If you're having some of these things today, know that I love you. This was planned some time ago. And if you begin to feel something, then just allow the Holy Spirit to talk to him. God, what is this thing that I feel? How are you speaking to me today? Uh, in true transparency, I started this um, journey because I believe God has something special for our church. 
And I've been saying that for probably a year and a half now. But that something special is going to require something of us. It, a theme in our family recently has been do the work. People will come and say, you know, I've got this issue and I just want it resolved. Well, you have to do the work. You want to be a better Christian, you have to do the work. Whenever I was uh, a kid, one of the funniest memories I ever remember, there was a man, he came to church once in a while. He didn't come very often, maybe every couple of months. But when he came, he brought the circus with him, usually. You know, one of those kind of guys. He was just, um, he would cause disruption. I know he didn't make the pastor happy. He's one of those guys. And one day he came up to the pastor and he put, took the Bible and he placed it on his head and he said, I'm learning by osmosis. I'll never forget, you know, osmosis. He was trying to receive the scripture through his head. And um, that's not going to work, just so you know, because we have to do the work. It requires us digging in and reading and connecting with God. So before we get to that something special, there's something that we have to know. And what Paul's telling us in Ephesians, the first part of Ephesians, he tells us what it means to be a Christian. He's telling us these are the things that it means to be a Christian. This is what it looks like. This is the freedom you have. There's liberty. There's unity. All of these things. And then he goes into the part of what are your responsibilities in that? What does that look like? Because the freedom is available to us. The liberation is available to us. Unity is available to us. But we have to have some skin in the game. There is a responsibility. There is work for us to do. The message of Jesus, and Paul is trying to help them understand this, points towards repentance. Repentance is turning our back on what our life used to be. It's making a decision to change direction. It's a course correction. I, I used to be this way. Now I'm this way. And that's the message of Jesus. It calls us to repentance. It's a life of surrender to him. So today we're going to pick up where we left off last week at the end of Ephesians 4. And as a reminder, I want to not forget that as we talk about these things, the way the earth is now is not our home. It's not the way that God intended for things to be. This world is being governed unrighteously by Satan. This is not the way things are intended to be. So what did Jesus do for us? The first three chapters, real quick. Um, Ephesians 4.17, we know that, uh, well, first we know that Jesus, what Jesus did for us. We were just talking about that. But then we turn the corner in chapter 4, and in 4.17, we learn that we must no longer live as the Gentiles do. It's, it's a change of heart. It's a change of being. We can no longer live unrestrained life. You don't get to do just whatever you want to do. Being a Christian is more than just saying the words. We have to have skin in the game. Our pursuits are no longer selfish desires. Our pursuits become His desires. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, we hear Paul explains that the message of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. People don't understand it. They just don't get it. We need to understand there is a distinctiveness in the life of a believer. 
we will live different lives. And so that's kind of what Paul's trying to help us understand beginning in chapter 4. You know, the world is confused because they worship the God of confusion. The world is just confused. Things are toppy-turvy because we are not experiencing the world the way that God intended us to experience it. He intended for us to experience a perfect place. But that's not the, what, the way it is or what we see. So some of you might remember an article that I talked about a few weeks ago where only two-thirds of pastors, um, evangelical senior pastors specifically, have a biblical worldview. Now, worldview can be shaped by many different things. It's our culture, our education, our religion, our experiences, and those things are always changing. So worldview changes. That's why it changes, because it's, it's different. But do you know who doesn't change? God is the same. Yesterday, today, forever. So according to God, His worldview, a correct worldview doesn't change. We have to allow God to shape our worldview according to His Spirit. He shapes our worldview. He teaches us. He's the one who corrects us. So as I was thinking about this, I thought, what are the parts of a biblical worldview? There's, and, and I found this. This isn't unique to me, but I really gravitated towards it. I thought it was good. So if you're following along in the notes, by the way, or the message, today's notes are in the Bible app. Uh, the uh, church's app, and all of those are here. These are going to be listed there. God is the creator of the world. There's six things that give us, we can understand a biblical worldview. First is this, God is the creator of the world and rules this universe. He is a sovereign God. That's going to give us a biblical worldview. Second, God speaks not only to us, but through the Bible, and God's word is inerrant in all things regarding salvation. We believe in God's word. Some people hold this as God's word, and it is. But don't forget that not only does God speak through the Bible, he can also speak to you. His word is alive. And you can, you can have him speak to you in your heart. Because of God, his word Because of the word of God, let me say it this way, his truth exists. Because of God, his truth exists. It's a problem that we have in our world today that we have a hard time knowing for sure what is true. Truth is different. You'll even hear somebody say, well, that's your truth. But God's truth is not changing. Right? Truth. We know there can be truth. For sure, this is the truth. All right. Uh, Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. He lived a sinless life, died for our sins, was buried, and raised again. Biblical worldview. Need to get through this. All right. Here's another one Satan is a real being, he's not symbolic. And Satan's goal is to defeat God and his plans for this world. Just so you know, it's a real thing that we are fighting. But we don't have to fight. We can allow the Holy Spirit to fight for us. And then finally, salvation is obtained only by Jesus. In fact, I, my first title to this message was Jesus Only. 
Only by Jesus. Paul talks a lot about this. If you go back and read Galatians and Ephesians and Colossians and several of his letters, he deals with people try to make it more complicated than it is. And Paul over and over and over again says it's Jesus only. All right, there's a lot of words here. But, and these things will help us understand what a biblical worldview looks like, but how can you tell somebody that's a true believer? How do we know who a true believer is? It's not by a profession of faith. While that is important, that's why we have it, and that's why we say the words, and that's why we do baptism. They're all profession of faith. That's not how you tell somebody is a believer, though. How you tell is by the spiritual fruit that is evident in their lives. So if you want to know, how can you be sure that Jesus is in your heart, what kind of life are you living? What spiritual fruits are evident? And remember, in Galatians, they're listed. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Fruits of the Spirit. Very simple, but when we're living in accordance to God and, and He's in our hearts, and your life will exude those fruits. It's not the way people claim but it's how they live, right? All right, so let's, uh, let's get into the scripture here. I'm gonna start with verse 29, chapter four, verse 29, and uh, we'll go to the end there. Do not let any, unwholes any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Okay, today we're talking about from retaliation to forgiveness. Retaliation to forgiveness. The, the meat of the scripture lays out everything that the life of a believer will be or will not be, all right? So what Paul's been talking about so far is, is going from lying to truth, from anger to righteousness, from stealing to sharing, from corrupt talk to gracious speech, and today we're talking about transformation, from retaliation to forgiveness. You know, today we always hear about fighting for our rights. Like you have the right to whatever. And in the United States, that is deeply bred into us. We have the right to privacy. We have the right to an attorney. We have the right to whatever. Um, some people think they have the right to a driver's license when they turn 16. That's eh, a privilege. <laughs> we do have rights. So when we feel that those rights are violated, we immediately go into retaliation mode to regain those rights. I'm gonna retaliate about it. I'm gonna fight for it. We've gotta fight for our rights. Well, this is the human condition. Because you did something to me, I'm going to do something to you. Anybody who has kids or has ever been around kids fully understands this, right? And we call it justice. Just so you know, that's not what God calls justice. God's justice is a bias towards the poor and the, the marginalized. 
That's God's justice. Our justice is a tooth for a tooth. That's our justice. And that's what we want. You did something to me. You violated my rights. I'm going to violate you. This is why James says in, in chapter 1, verse 19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Don't get angry first. So I'm going to say this pretty clearly. I believe that retaliation is from Satan. I believe it comes from a bad attitude. I think it is a temptation that we endure and endure. And sometimes we fall in to that temptation. It's a construct of Satan and it can lead you down a dark hole. And for some, a dark hole that you never climb out of. Just think of movies we've seen. It's like the premise for every movie. You did me wrong, I'm coming after you. One of the greatest examples that I've ever seen of this is Liam Neeson. I have a quote here. His daughter was stolen. I think I've talked about this before. And this is what he said. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for a ransom, I can tell you I don't have any money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a long career. Skills that, might, that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you and I will kill you. <laughs> it's a quote from a movie. And we're all like, yeah, you took your daughter. Go get him. Right? We're cheering for him because he was violated. And we think once you're violated, you got to fight. Retaliation is part of our fallen nature. On the flip side of that, I will say that you have never been more like God than when you forgive somebody. Because God did not write that movie quote. When you forgive somebody, you begin to resemble the character of God, which is what the pursuit of righteousness is becoming more like him. We were created in his image, right? And as the Holy Spirit, as he works in us, he makes us more like him, which means we're more likely to forgive. We're called to imitate God, especially when it comes to practicing forgiveness. So how does Paul describe people who don't follow Jesus? People who are driven, um, by, driven by or full of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, Malice. So I want to take a deeper look at each one of these. This is what he says. Get rid of all the bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Get, get rid of these things. Okay, so what do these mean? I want to just take a little bit of a, a dive to, and, I, and I've got to hurry. So I'm going to, I don't want to hurry too much. I, I want this to make sense, but I want you to see to what extent Paul's talking about this. So the first word in the Greek, bitterness uh, in the Greek is pikria. And it literally means inedible. He's talking about bitterness. He means inedible. This describes the state of a person who is in perpetual animosity. You become unedible. Nobody wants you around because you're always in this state. The second word that he uses is, depends on your translation is either wrath 
or rage. And the Greek is thumos. Thumos is a wild, uncontrolled passion of anger. It is unbridled and explosive. When somebody loses their temper, it is thumos. So I want you to understand the, what Paul's trying to help us see here, thumos. All right, it's closely related to the word orge, which is translated here in the English as anger, but it means smoldering hate. You see, there's a depth in the Greek that we miss. It's a smoldering hate. These are repulsive behaviors, ungodly in nature, and according to Jesus, equal to murder. Matthew 5, 21, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders is liable of judgment. But I say, this is Jesus, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the fire of hell. So, orge, if you have that, Jesus says it's the same as murdering some. All right, you come to the next two words. Paul's going from these internal smoldering emotions to an external outward emotion. Clamor or brawling in the Greek is krauge. And it means to shout out loud, to voice your hatred with animosity. Krauge. And then uh, the next word that we come to is slander. In the Greek is blasphema. Sounds familiar, right? Blasphemia. That's to slander. It means to curse or to use words that denigrate or defame. So how many of you have ever been in, in a fight, a word fight, and you want to say the thing that you know is going to hurt the deepest? The worst thing you can possibly say that's going to just tear them to the bone. Blasphemia. Denigrate you. I want to defame you. I want you to feel it. And then malice is kakia. Now this is a generic term. It's like, it's like a root for badness or a hateful feeling. It is the place where all these other things come from. When he says every other kind of malice, he's talking about this. There's a bed of hate and out of that bed of hate is where all these other, the rage and the slander and the, all those things, that's where they all come from. I mean, we see these in our world today. These are things that we see, not just in the news, but probably in our own lives. The world pronounces curses and seeks retaliation for every single offense. The world is angry and hostile and vengeful. True believers don't explode with grace. We, I mean, don't explode with um, vengeance. We reply with grace. This is the world Paul's talking about. And whenever Jesus came on the scene and his followers, they, when somebody would vehemently blasphemia them, they would respond by grace and love. And it hurt. But after some time, people were like, there's something different here. Like, this isn't normal. I'm not sure what's going on because when I hate you, 
You love me. I don't get it. It's much easier when I hate you if you would hate me back. Please hate me back. That's what people say. And over the course of 300 years, because of Christians were behaving this way, the majority of the known world at the time became followers of Jesus. Because this is how they reacted. Now think about how Christians or people who say they're Christians today respond. I mean, you just have to get on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and you're going to see some Christians who are responding with blasphemia. You're going to see it. They're mad. They're angry. I, I, I'm going to say this. I can't believe some of the, the words that I've seen spoken about um, the revival that was in Asbury. I've seen some really bitter words. And I, I'm like, if the Holy Spirit is going to change lives, then it's not my job to decide how he changes them. I'm going to go out on a limb. There's a, a and, and this is all public uh, social media, Christians bad-mouthing other Christians. I saw a, another post. A pastor had walked into his sanctuary on a Sunday morning, and the air was heavy with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit was just heavy. So much so that it looked like a mist was in the room. He took a picture and posted it. Man, I'm, I'm praying, just so y'all know, for a mist that is the Holy Spirit. Because there are biblical, Teresa, we are talking about this yesterday, biblical Old and New Testament places where the Holy Spirit descended, God's glory was there in a visible way. Now listen, I'm not, I'm not praying, I don't want God to do that in, in, in a heretical way. Like I'm only believing God because he's his glory like that. But wouldn't it be awesome? If his glory was here in that way, when you walked in the doors on a Sunday morning and a holy hush was, and we didn't even have worship or preaching or anything because we came in and we're like, we can't even stand in his presence. That's what happened to the disciples. That's what happened to the Israelites in the Old Testament. Like, it's a thing. But to the point, people are so quick to blasphemia. We have to respond in grace. Forgiveness is voluntary. We give up our right for revenge. Got to give it up. So why should we forgive? It sounds easy in principle. It's difficult in practice. You know that because you've all been hurt. I've been hurt. You've been hurt. It's difficult in practice. But listen, we have to learn to do this. God forgives we forgive. If God forgives our sins, then we must be willing to forgive others ourselves. If we're withholding genuine forgiveness from somebody, what does that say about how we view God? I can tell you what Jesus said. If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive, your father will not forgive your sins. So, I mean, that ought to settle it right there, right? And I've heard people say, I'm not ready to forgive yet. There's no timeline on it. But I would say, don't hold that hatred because you never know. 
If you want forgiveness, we have to forgive. And, and forgiveness is healing. The American Psychological Association, now a completely secular organization, this is what they say. Research, research has shown that forgiveness is linked to mental health outcomes such as reduced anxiety, reduced depression, reduced major psychiatric disorders, as well as fewer physical health symptoms and lower mortality rates. This is their study. They have found that forgiveness does this. It makes you more in your mind. It makes you healthier. And it makes you live longer. <laughs> and that's completely, that's, that's not, that's just studies that they've shown. Another reason to forgive is because forgiveness if the heart, is the heart of the gospel. See, Jesus forgave us when we don't deserve it. We didn't deserve it. In fact, the beauty of the gospel is we can't earn it and we'll never deserve it, but he did it anyway. You see, all the constructs of the world and, and the ruler of this world demands vengeance. Hinduism says, forgive, but with karma. Islam demands jihad and retribution. Your sins are paid when your good outweighs your bad. Religion says, pay for sin to appease and earn a blessing. Only at the cross of Jesus Christ do we find our debt is paid by the one that we're indebted to. Luke 23, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Like they weren't even asking forgiveness. They weren't even looking for it and he was forgiven them. I have said, and God forgive me for this. Well, if they come ask me forgiveness, I guess I'll do it. I'm gonna hold it. Because something about it feels comfortable. Like it's owed me, like I need this. But we gotta let it go. We can't hold it. Jesus on the cross paid for our forgiveness. Listen, we have to forgive others. Jesus didn't deserve the curse that was put on him of all of our sins. And we don't deserve the blessing that God has given us of forgiveness of sins. If Jesus can do that for us, if God can do that for us, then surely we can do that for others. I told you today was a little heavy. Like I said, I don't know where you came in. You may be here and like crystal clear. I feel good. It's awesome. Maybe you know somebody who doesn't feel good. You spend a little time praying for them. I'm going to invite Katrina to come up and um, spend the last few moments in a time of prayer. Where's your heart today? What's God doing in you or with you? Maybe you do have some unforgiveness that you're trying to let go of. Let's just let it go. Maybe you know somebody that you want to pray for. Maybe somebody has unforgiveness for you and you want to pray about that. I don't know. 
My prayer is that we would all be able to leave here with a clear conscience.